Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be summarizing Romans chapters 1 through 5, and then tackling chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, sharing some of life's sugar sticks, and discussing the seven reality disciplines of raising children. I am Molly Kingston, your producer, and joining me on the panel is Pastor Ben Kingston, Dr. Gavin Hooks, and Ryan Mayberry. Gentlemen, riddle me this. What five-letter word typed in all capital letters can be read the same upside down? No clue. Five letters. Is it a word we're allowed to say? Yes. <laughs> it's not a four-letter word. It is a word you know. If you know or Somebody want to make a guess in the something. audience, you can text the number on the screen. And if anyone gets it correct, I will share during the podcast. What is a five-letter word that, when you type it in all capital letters, can be read the same upside down? So it's read this. It's the same word, right side up, as it is upside down. So if you wrote it on a piece of paper and you flipped the paper. It would be the same word. Nope. Not a word, Julie. Uh, we also encourage you to text any questions or input about all topics of discussion. Oh, no. I don't think that's right. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Unfortunately, I was distracted. We encourage you to text any questions or input about all topics of discussion rebroach. As always, if you listen later online, please comment your answer on the Facebook post and then like and share so others can join in on the fun. I had someone send in Ohio. That is not the answer. I will tell the answer later. Dad, you can take it away with Romans. Ohio just has four letters in it. Have to write it. Oh, that, yeah, it does. I need a five-letter word. Still seeing math, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are diving into Romans uh, 6 through 8 uh, for this Bible study segment. Uh, each week we'll start the first 15 to 20-minute segment with just diving into Scripture. Uh, last year we did... Ephesians. Ephesians, that's right. And uh, thoroughly, even though it doesn't sound like it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Ephesians is a book that tells you who you are in Christ uh, and what you can do uh, as a result. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture on uh, yours and my inheritance in Christ. Uh, with that said, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is a treaty on sin uh, the power of sin, the powerlessness of sin after Christ. And then uh, chapter 8 is a look into uh, spirit-filled living and uh, the lack of ability for anything to separate you and I from Christ. Uh, Romans 8.28, of course, is uh, probably one of the more famous quotes, uh, maybe second only to John 3.16. Um, uh, God... Now, I can't remember it. Uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So, what we, though, want to do, because one of the things that we stress here, uh, and hopefully any church does, is context. Context is king. Uh, and so, we didn't want to ignore Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So, we're giving each panelist a chapter. Uh, I have two, uh, but everybody else has one. Uh, and they are going to have two minutes to summarize 
the chapter. Who has chapter one? I do. And I fully believe that if Paul lived in our time, he would have been a theater kid because all of his introductions have an extremely dramatic flair. A theater kid. Theater kid. Theater. Theater kid. Theater. Theater kid, as I said. Theater kid. A thespian. Yeah, thespian. Because, uh, again, he had a lot of dramatic flair. But just my quick notes, I won't take two minutes. But my quick notes is he started off with basic introductions. Um, and he does this, he did this in Ephesians as well, where he introduced himself and he reestablished himself as an apostle. Because Paul was one who came on later. He wasn't a part of the original 12. But Paul is faithful to establish himself as an apostle even after, since he came in later. Um, He also introduced the gospel, which he said is God promised by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Introduced Jesus Christ as God's son, seed of David by flesh, reinforcing that Jesus was man as well as a son of God. And he introduced believers, because they're new now, received from Christ grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith for his name. Uh, So that was the first little part of chapter 1. Then he moves into just confessing that he is actively missing praying and wanting to visit the church in Rome. In verse 16 is where we get the, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's in Romans 1. And I forgot to pull it up, so I was going to pull it up here. Because I just quoted the first half, but it's a, the whole thing is actually, if no... What then shall we sin? Because, oh, I'm in chapter 6. Give me a hot second. Okay. Two hot seconds. What are you looking for, baby? I got it. I got it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That was verse 16 and 17. Um, He moves on to talk about the state of the world, which is he's breaking down why we need salvation from sin because the state of the world is filled with all unrighteousness, is his quote in 29. And verse 32, they do all this even knowing. Oh, this is, I I highlighted this for me because he spends multiple verses talking about the evil that is in the world. And then the last one talks about how they're doing all of this, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, so they're not only committing this evil, knowing the judgment of God, but also have pleasure in them that do them. So they're being deliberately disobedient. They're thumbing their nose. And God. enjoying it. Right. So uh, real quick trivia on uh, why... Did Paul feel the need to, you know, basically push the fact that he is an apostle? Why? Because it kind of was met with some pushback and dissension, especially because he started out his, uh, well, he didn't start out his ministry, but before his His ministry. His professional life was persecuting. Yeah, exactly. And so what is pretty much the one thing that apostle must have to be considered an apostle. An encounter with Christ. An encounter with Christ. H- has to physically. So, so none of us are going to make the apostleship because we can't physically see Christ. That's been done for 2,000 years. So it was the road to Damascus where Paul literally saw the resurrected. He saw the light. He saw the light. And uh, do you wonder when they all got together if he went up them? You know, because he's oh, the, okay. I, well, no, you know what? He's not. I was going to say he's the only one that, that saw Christ after the resurrection, but they all did. 
all of the apostles saw Christ. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting uh, in the such. So chapter 2, Paul is building the case for what's coming in chapter 3. The verse about we are all sinners. uh, So he opens up chapter 2 with, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest, another thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same thing. So we're all in this boat together. It really is um, offensive to God, and Gavin, you've brought this out through the years, for you and I to point a finger at someone else when we have a beam in our eye. Uh, And that, of course, is a parable that Jesus used. Uh, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up for thyself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And then verse six, verse 6 in chapter 2, who will render to every man according to his deeds? One of the more powerful, you know, thoughts in Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. And I've, you know, had a definition of the fear of the Lord ever since way back right after college days. And essentially, I've paraphrased it, but it's something along the lines of uh, being aware that a righteous God is seeing and aware of every word, thought, action, and deed that I commit. Uh, That's a healthy fear of God. So obviously, uh, that's an appointment that we really don't want to keep. You know, that verse 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Verse 11, he makes sure everyone understands that God is no respecter of persons, so Jews or Greeks... So, you know, in the Bible, you fit in one of two races. Uh, You are either a Jew or you're a Gentile, also called here a Greek. It doesn't matter your skin color. You're a Jew, you're a Greek. Uh, They're going to be judged for their work. And then in verse 17, following, he's now trying to make sure that everyone understands that the hypocrite will stand before God as well. Uh, As you know, there was a huge argument and misunderstanding between Messianic Jews such as Paul and Orthodox Jews, uh, such as Paul was before he saw the light. They were trying to marry this whole in Jesus salvation thing with everything they've been taught all their life uh, about Judaism and basically earning your way uh, to heaven by keeping the law. Uh, They're going to get to heaven because they kept the law. So Paul's trying to show them the hypocrisy of these Orthodox Jews trying to hold people to the same law that they can't even keep themselves. Uh, so, there you go. So Brother. then in chapter in <clears throat> chapter 3, I, I felt like this was, it was kind of humorous in my thinking that this is a lot like that skit we did in the hee-haw uh, play that we did here a couple years ago because Paul would say something and you could almost say, oh, that's bad. No, no, that's good. That's good. And, and then say it again, oh, that's good. That's no, good. no, no that's, that's bad. bad. <laughs> so he, he first makes the, the, the case that it's not, that it doesn't matter to be a Jew. Then he makes it the case that it is good to be a Jew, then he makes the case that it's bad to be a Jew because the, the, the honor of having the law brought through them, oh, that's good, that's good to Jew. No, no, that the law was rejected by the Jews and could, they couldn't live by it. So, oh, that's bad. No, no, that's good because not everybody can have the gospel uh, presented to them. And so in chapter 3, that's kind of what uh, happens back and forth. And uh, so, it, so coming into chapter 3, so, so it's good to be a Jew? No, that's... It's not good to be a Jew. No, that's good. And he says the Jews were honored with the giving of law. Um, so it just goes back and forth. The, the bottom line being we all come to, we all now have the need for God's grace, whether Jew or Gentile. 
And then chapter 4 kind of expands on that and gives a specific example. It talks about Abraham and how he was justified by his faith, mm. and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he gives the example or cites it as proof that uh, Abraham was ca- that was counted toward his righteousness before he was circumcised. So the circumcision was the big deal back in the day. Right. Um, had to do it to be a Jew right. and uh, still do. But he makes the point that it was actually before he was even circumcised that it was counted to him for righteousness because he was promised a son in uh, back in Genesis 15, and then he believed that God would provide his son, and that was his faith. And it's another good point, I think, to bring out that it's not faith in God as in a belief that he exists, but faith in God that he will do what he says he'll do. Man. It's, there's a lot more to it than just believing he exists, because there's a lot of people that believe Mental Jesus exists. Is not I mean, there's, enough. That's right. Yeah, there's, there's proof that Jesus walked the earth, but unless you believe he's the son of God, it's right. not counted as faith in the sense that they're talking here. Very good. Um, w- another trivia thing that I, I always try to make sure people know, we're not saying circumcision is bad. We're saying circumcision is not acceptable for salvation, just as any other act, if you will, of the flesh. And something that I didn't know uh, until I got here and got deeper into the Word of God, uh, the identifying mark in the Old Testament was circumcision of Jewish males. I'm so thankful and, and praise God that the identifying mark now of Christianity is baptism. Uh, and you don't do it to get saved. You do it because you are saved. And you show the world, I belong to Christ. So it's the identifying mark. So chapter 5, uh, he, he's now, I, I, this is my favorite part of chapter 5 in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So you've got the kill power of sin. One act of sin from one man equals death upon all. Praise the Lord, it didn't stop there. And then look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So you've got the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam, of course, is Adam and Eve. The second Adam is Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. And then verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So it was at Ken Burnett's house years ago now. Uh, I had been tasked to preach that Sunday evening, and I can't remember if John appointed these verses or this is just where the Holy Spirit led me. But as I prepared and studied for that sermon, again, I had never put this together, but you've got this kill power of sin, but then you have the unbelievable power of one act of righteousness. So one sin kills all mankind, one act of righteousness forgives all sin. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. And so that's the power of grace. If you are impressed, if you will, by the kill power of sin, you're blown away by the power 
of grace. And so, uh, you know, we, we have hope. So we're ready to dive into six or are we out of time? No, we have time. Okay. So uh, anything you guys want to add before we dive into six? We're, we're honestly just going to give a, an overview of one through seven because uh, I'm sure we're close to being out of time. And if you guys got questions, please text them in. Uh, verse six, I'm sorry, chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, so, I'm sorry, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, there's a lot of figurative language going on here. Uh, God is, Paul is not saying you have to physically die uh, to have this power. Uh, it's so much more powerful than that. Uh, you have to die to self. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that ad nauseum here before too long. But one thing I want to bring out, the most powerful verse about the powerlessness of sin has the mark of man upon it. Now, you know, when I was growing up, 666 represented the devil. But according to Revelation, 666 is the number of man. And so uh, most people associate that with the devil and, if you will, fleshly living and the such. And so the most powerful verse dealing with the powerlessness of sin, the sixth book in the Bible, Romans, the sixth chapter, the sixth verse. I've always thought that was interesting. Somebody want to talk about verse number one here? What, what do you suppose he's getting at? Is he just using a literary, uh, you know, catchphrase here, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may I think uh, verses one and two here, this is one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible because it's one that I've constantly referenced to people when they say, well, if you think you could just be forgiven and, you know, you're once saved, always saved, then what's to keep you from sin? Live it up. Yeah. Well, it says right here exactly the opposite. It says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. I mean, right. it spares, it doesn't mince words. That's it's right. very clear that just because you're forgiven and you are dead to sin, meaning right. that you don't have to give in to sin, it doesn't mean it gives you a pass. But the whole section, too, also reminds me of all the way back in Genesis in chapter 4. It's going to take me a minute to find it. Sure. Um, but after Cain murdered Abel, uh, God talks to him. It's going to take me a second. Basically, it's saying that sin is going to come to you and that you have the power to Crouching it. at the door. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be able to find it now, but as soon as I do, I'll read it. Right. <laughs> sure. Well, I think, too, you know, Paul knew, one, who he was talking to. If Paul's really good at signaling out his audience. And then also um, the whole Proverbs of answer a fool not into his folly, and then followed by answer a fool according to his folly. I think he was kind of playing the devil's advocate there. Like right. he knew people would be like, oh, well, so since we have a free, you know, a free pass, yeah, yeah. then of course we can just do whatever we want. And so he's making sure to nip that in the bud. That's right. Genesis 4, 7. It says, if you do well, he's talking to Cain after he murdered Abel and they're basically discussing, well, why did you do this? He says, if you do well, uh, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and his desire is for you. And the important part is, but you should rule over it. So even at the beginning of time, he's telling you, you have 
the power to overcome your sin. Amen. So uh, one of the most powerful chapters in a book of discipleship that I use and, and that we use here at Bethel on occasion talks about the dominant spirit. And so you, you need to see yourself as a triune being. You know, we have the image of God stamped upon us. Well, part of that is we are a triune being, spirit, soul, and body. And so when you and I, pre-Christ, pre-salvation, our spirit is dead, absolutely dead. No hope of heaven with a dead spirit. Your body and soul, as a result, is able to run rampant. And what happens is the body has urges and appetites. And when the body says, ooh, rise and kill and eat, the soul goes, you betcha. You know, it just stamps on everything. And so uh, the once you come to Christ, though, that spirit is regenerated, and that's the word. That spirit is renewed. That spirit is quickened, the Bible also says. It becomes alive. Well, what now needs to happen is the soul and the body need to be subservient to the spirit. When the spirit, and I'm talking about your spirit, when your spirit submits to the spirit of God through salvation, now it needs to rise over the soul and the body. And so the soul is mind, will, and emotion. And so the spirit says, no, this is how we're going to live now. And then the mind, will, and emotion tells the body, this is what you're going to do. And, and that is how you and I live a righteous life. Now, sounds real easy, you know, rattling it off like that, but how do you do it? Well, it, it's right here uh, in 6, 1 through 7. Someone else before I keep going? Well, I think we're going to stop time? there unless Uncle Gavin wanted to give a quick word. Are, are we at verse 7 yet? Yes. Has, has Uncle Gavin ever given a quick word? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it's not in my nature. One of my, my sin problems. Uh, so I just, uh, the irony of the last verse there says, he that is dead is freed from sin when it's sin that actually caused the death. Right. Um, so if you count yourself already, already dead, that's the worst sin can do to you. Mm. And you've already admitted that to Christ, I am dead in my flesh, and I'm only alive through you. So the worst that sin can do is kill you. If you count yourself already to have in, absorbed or... Um, suffered that damage, sin has no more power. Amen. Um, Brother Larry texted something while I was talking about chapter one, so I'm not entirely sure which statement this is exactly to, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Sure. But she says, our church lives up to this statement greatly. The church should be a community where messed up people are welcome, outcasts are love, underdogs find a champion, the hopeless find hope, and the friendless find a friend. Which yeah. I really, that was really well spoken. Man. Also, we have had three people texting the correct answer. One of them cheated, so I'm uh -oh. not going to. How do you know that? Because she admitted it. Oh. Um, and then Randy Rayfield sent it in first, followed by Messed Larry, and it is the word swims. 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 So when you, right, because the W can yeah. flip down, you know, they can. Yeah. What are those called? Reflections of each mm -hmm. other? Cool. Yep, so there you go. Moving on to the sugar sticks. This is something a little new this year, so this is going to replace a break time. It's just a quick time where we're sharing something that makes life sweeter, whether to us personally or maybe even on a grander scale. So mine is simply, you can't outgive God. I've heard that all my life, and I've never been able to do it. I've seen examples of people trying and 
God always, it, you know, it's got to be out of a pure motive. You know, you can't go give $100 to increase your faith uh, and get a $1,000 type thing. I'm saying where you have an honest, uh, what would the word be, the Lord directs you to give and you think, Lord, I don't know that I have that. Give it anyway. You know, it's like Elijah going to the widow. You know, she says, he asks for a cake. Her and last. Her last, right. And, and that's what she says. And he said, well, that's okay. Go ahead and make it anyway. Because God <laughs> says that you're going to never go out of oil and you're never going to go out of meal in your little meal barrel. And for a, a year and a half, uh, she never lacked. Fed all three of them. Fed all three of them. So there's mine, my sugar stick. Can't out give God. Mine's going to be music because it's, it's interesting to me that God gave us music to begin with because, you know, if you break it down to, you know, life is just break physical. Yeah, just physical things. There is yeah. no immaterial, and all it is is vibrations in the air. But if there is something beyond the physical, then it, it's interesting that he gave that to uh, vibrations in the air can elicit emotion and it's audible well that's emotion. i was gonna say that's yeah. the important thing is the vibrations yeah and it because we're atoms vibrating good already. good 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 vibrations. and it uh it i don't know it's weird that it speaks to you to the point you know you start tapping your foot yep. and stuff it's 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 interesting and it transcends uh races and languages mm -hmm. like people from all around the world can enjoy a single music even if a single piece of music even if it's not in their own language mm -hmm. their heart language it, it, it can break through uh, barriers that you put up to. It yeah. can speak to you in ways that uh, just somebody's talking to you couldn't speak to you. Um, every uh, so often a song comes out, I think, well, God just gave that person that song for me. And uh, Lauren Daigle's Thank God I Do is the one that's right now not mm -hmm. knocking out of the park for me. Um, it, it truly is an anthem for orphans, and that's kind of my interest right now. But the... Um, if you haven't listened to in that light, listen to that song in that light. It's a song for orphans. Yeah. Um, so my, my sugar stick, uh, your God-given curiosity. Mm. I've said this before. I think I've been rescued from burnout many times because God puts into my mind or my thinking something interesting to draw me away from the, the mundane nose to the grind, grindstone every day. And it gives, gives, it refreshes me and it also gives me new interest in the, the, you know, the job that I have. Um, so here a while back, I got interested in coins. I just actually was your B, B, was it the BCL, the auction? Yeah, yep. the BCL auction. Sorry. Somebody, they put up some, yeah, it's your no, Of course. Yeah, I won't tell Denise. So, uh, so <laughs> Men, they had a do coin not there Google thought, BCL. Do not do it. Don't. <laughs> so they had a coin in there of Augustus Caesar and the, one of the groups of coins that I bought. And I thought, you know, this could have been one of the, co the coin that Jesus said. Show me, a, yeah. show me the coin. And mm -hmm. then I got interested in, hmm, so there, there are other coins in the Bible too. Right. So one of the coins that, you know, the coin that... He brought it with him. I did. I brought one with me here. This is the temple, um, the tire shekel. Okay. And it's the coin that Jesus said, go and catch a fish and pull yeah. a coin out of his mouth. It's also one, the coin that was is part of the third coin. It is, ex it is it, that coin. It, it could be. Yeah. It, it the Lord could have worked be. so yes. mightily that he made sure it was here for this. this. Was made I want to catch the fish, though. <laughs> <laughs> the type of fish. And get the, and get the But it's the tetradrachma, the uh, temple tax. It's the only one that they would accept because mm. it was the most accurate. Right, right, the, right. the mint at Tyre was the most reliable at the time. 
Um, so, and it's also the 30 pieces of silver was supposedly these coins too. Oh, so wow. there's the good thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see this after the radio program, you're welcome to see it. But uh, I, I just got interested in the coins of the Bible and I've, I've started collecting. I've got several of them and you can get them for relatively, you know, for a, this is probably two, 2,200 years old. And for what I paid for, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. I got to have that. Anyway, God given curiosity. Yeah, if any of you guys would like to text in your sugar sticks, go ahead and send it in and I'll share it. If not this week, maybe even next week, because I think this is something that's going to be continually brought in up. Rotation, through, yeah. yeah, throughout the season. Um, moving on to our mystery topic. Now, I, I did not get the Wheel of Names ready. This, I was running around a little crazy. So I did not get the names ready. So does anyone have a I'm mystery ready. topic that you oh, like? Ready. Good. Good. <laughs> You're I'm the ready. only one. Everyone's well, ready. I have a list of them. I can't find my list. Oh, man. Well. I'll have to work it all over again. Okay. Well, if Dad's ready, are you. D- no, go you for You want to fight him for it? Okay. No. You. <laughs> well, if he's going to fight me, I'm going to let him do it. Uh, bees and honey. Mm. Bees and honey. Speaking of sugar. That's right. Uh, so, uh, you know, I- I've heard this for better part of my life. If you are just really in need of a shot of energy, take a tablespoon of honey. The next 20 minutes to two hours, you're going to have a little notice, you know, sugar buzz or whatever. And uh, if you can utilize local honey, all the better for possible uh, allergies and things of that nature. Uh, Because the bees have made the honey out of the allergens that you're allergic to. And so the honey has some level, probably not a great, but some level of immune immunization mm. against those allergies. So uh, and also, it's a great medicine. Yeah, like the, I've seen a lot because of cold and flu season right. coming up. Like if you, um, I'm not going to get the word right, but if you put it on onions and like leave that oh, not yeah, yeah, fermenting, yeah. but yeah. The, you know, yeah. And then also, um, garlic is a good, mm-hmm. a good cold and flu season as well. Uh, so also, uh, honey. And uh, it'll come to me. Lemon juice mm. and tea. Yeah. Heat it up. That's a, if really good for if the vocal need vocal to sing cords. And, Right. Well, uh, Randy is one of our local uh, bee guys, and uh, the Janeses also do uh, bees and the such. So the, these are the glorifications, if you will, of uh, bees. Number one, it helps the environment through pollination. Bees play a crucial role in pollinating flowers, which is essential for plant reproduction and at first you might go eh, okay then you realize that our bees are dying Mm -hmm. our planet is getting low on bees so it is something we need more people to be bee husbandmen if you will or husband ladies uh so one of the sweetest benefits of course of beekeeping is the prediction production of honey which can be enjoyed by the beekeeper that was number two number three contributes to food production This is interesting. Bees are responsible for one in every three bites of food that we take, amounting to more than 15 billion in the nation's crop value each year. That's impressive. Uh, Fun and rewarding hobby backyard beekeeping is a lot of fun and requires patience and commitment. Supports local ecosystems. Bees help to maintain biodiversity by pollinating local flora enhances garden productivity having honeybees on your property ensures that your flowers and fruit trees are fertilized randy can we design a bee that will sting a deer when it comes into the because if we can I, oh, okay there you go i need that uh 
produces bee wax. Bees wax is another byproduct of backyard beehives, which has various uses. Potential for income, the honey produced can be sold, potentially recouping the initial investment made in setting up the hive. Uh, most, what's the going rate for a pound right now, Randy? Uh, about 10 or $12. Yep, that's what I, I paid $12 for a pound of honey. It was in a glass jar. Mm. Uh, so you got to pay for the glass, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Glass is recyclable and better than plastic. Uh, then promotes a healthy environment and chemical-free food. Mm. Uh, backyard beekeeping can promote a healthy environment and contribute to the production of chemical-free food. And questions, be, corrections, or additions? It may be the home beekeeper that saves the entire species of bees because the industrial ones, they all go to the same spot every year, right. mm. take their bees to California, to the almond fields in California. And they get 90% of them. So they all go there, they get the virus, and then go back home. Oh so the home beekeepers are probably the ones that are going to save the species if they do. So when we were in Jonesboro, uh, there was a family that got into beekeeping quite by accident, but it was so productive that he sent his three children to college on just 40 hives of bees. Hmm. Now, he did that too, though. He sent them to California. Yeah, it's very high. They because, you know, if, if you're here, you know, there's an off season. Whereas in California or Florida, uh, they can keep producing honey and things of that nature. The, uh, I, I forget what the number is, but it's something like 60% more fruit or nuts because the bees are there than if the bees weren't there. Right. Oh, yeah. I got more, but I don't know how much you, you got you five want. minutes. Okay. So th these are the some fun bee facts, he says. Honeybees are domesticated species originally imported from Europe that exist primarily in managed hives. In North America, there are over 4,000 wild native bee species. Some bumblebees nest in old mouse burrows. Uh, most bees don't live in hives. Domesticated mm -hmm. honeybees and native bumblebees live in social hives, but most other native bee species are solitary. Uh, bees, this is, this is something. Bees beat their wings 11,400 times in one minute. Oof. That's exhausting. They you gotta, you live, gotta live off long. honey to make live like that. No doubt. Only female bees can sting. Uh, bees, uh, male bees don't have stingers. That's true for all species. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you're a veterinarian. Only the female I, can you know, sting. You don't question a veterinarian. <laughs> I got that okay. Uh, honey bees communicate through a m series of dance moves. That's true in all <laughs> species too. Uh, a hive of bees will fly over 55,000 miles to make one pound of honey and can create 100 pounds of honey in a year. Uh, queen bee can lay 2,500 eggs in a day. Uh, in its lifetime, a bee will uh, be able to produce a half teaspoon of honey. That's one bee. Uh, there are three types of bees in a colony, the queen, the workers, and the drones. Bees have an exceptional sense of smell. Bees have, let's see, have to use the sun uh, to help them navigate. Did I say that right, Randy? And communicate. And communicate. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Fun fact, uh, the beekeeping world is now soliciting or approaching veterinarians to get involved in the beekeeping mm. uh, for coming out for doing antibiotics for the, for the hive, for, right. for looking and diagnosing what the problem is with the hive and then treating the hive, trying to get veterinarians involved with that process. Just interesting. Interesting. Uh, there are also, like... If you don't think you have time or the uh, ability to keep a hive, there's a lot of, um, not a lot of, there are now places that sell flowers that 
advertised as being good for bees. Correct. They, so they, they attract pollinators. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if you can even just keep a few of those plants around, that would be helpful even yeah. enough for that. And so from there, you get into the monarch butterfly because, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's specific milkweed, I think. Mm-hmm. Milkweed attracts the monarch mm-hmm. butterfly, and the monarch butterfly is a pollinator, and it's also, you know, it, it's going oh, down. Fine. Yep. So there you go. Don't blame us if you get into bees next year. <laughs> don't go to BCL. Yeah, don't go to BCL. Don't. Don't do it. What's next, babe? I have something from Larry. I haven't oh. read all the way through it. I'm going to go ahead and share it, though. The reporter discovered that the farmer shared his seed corn with his neighbors. How can you afford to share your best seed corn with your neighbors when they are entering corn in competition with yours each year? The reporter asked. Why, sir, said the farmer, didn't you know? The wind picks up pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field. If my neighbors grow inferior corn, cross-pollination will steadily degrade my quality of corn. If I'm to grow good corn, I must help my neighbors grow good corn. There you go. Yeah, so awesome. help help the bees plant those plants. All right, good mystery topic, Dad. So next is the never have I ever break. So I think we played it a few times last year. It's very simple. You're really just supposed to hold up your hand, and then we'll say, like, never have I ever statements, and the first person with all of their fingers gone is the loser, basically. Or you can consider yourself the winner because you've done more. I think I'm going to lose immediately because that's not how I took that section. Oh, yeah, me either. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just, I just have a statement. I yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah. Well, I have a few, too. Okay. Like I, I right. got some prepared. But there's four of us here. We have five fingers, so I figured if I at least covered two. Yeah. Okay. Already? I don't know. You already got something. Never have I played. Never have I ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we did okay. Well, I have played that. Oh, okay. We did do it, but I'll give it to you if that's your one statement. Let's go. Okay. Well, here's my first one. Uh, never have I ever uh, fainted. Never have I ever, ever fainted. I have. Huh? Never have I ever fainted. So if I fainted, I got a tip. Yes. Ah, yes. Okay. It was close. I have fainted. I've been close a time or two, but. Yeah. Okay. Good. I have never fainted. Dad, what's your statement? Never have I ever uh, raised bees. Okay. I don't think any of us here have. Randy <laughs> loses a finger. Uh, Uncle Gavin? Defaulted on a loan. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I haven't either. Two. Okay. Close a time or two, but never. Smart. Uh, Ryan, did you have one? I've never seen The Wizard of Oz. Oh, well, there the you movie. Go. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, the movie. Don't look at the man behind the <laughs> blanket or curtain, yes. Oh, yeah, I wanted the verification. He might have actually Have been. you seen The Wizard of Oz? No, never have I ever. You've never <laughs> seen The Wizard of Oz? I no, the I, movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was differentiating if Ryan had real life seen yeah. The Wizard. Not the movie. The, the real I've wizard. not seen either. <laughs> <laughs> the movie or no, the Oz? Yeah, now I'm lying. <laughs> I have seen the movie. Oh, oh Lord the movie. help. Not, the, not what, the real what, thing. What other movie came out the same year that was like over the top? That they, they com- Titanic. Uh, no, it was uh, Gone, with Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. And that was a guess. Yeah. So was mine. <laughs> <laughs> Are we still good, playing the game? Yeah, good guess, bad guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine being arrested, been arrested. I have never been arrested. I haven't either. Mm-hmm. No. Gotten into a fist fight? Oh. Well, yeah, I got brothers. <laughs> yeah. oh, I wasn't including them. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be here today for a couple of fist fights. <laughs> Hair, teeth, and eyes. Uh, yeah. Eating rotten food. 
Oh, I've done that. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. Okay, so you lose yeah. a finger. I thought you lost this. Uh-oh. No, you're if right. you've done it, you're right. then you you lose done it. you're right. Gotten sick on a roller coaster. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I have a veterinarian stomach. Been on TV. I have. Yeah, you're the loser. I'm the loser? Yeah. You lost all your fingers. That's your pinky. You've been on TV. I have been on TV. Yeah, so you lose that <laughs> pinky. When were you on TV? <sighs> I missed it. Bozo. Bo- Bozo the Clown. Also, when, when I was oh, a little kid. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. Yeah. Yes, with Aunt Poppy. Kick the balloon in but the bucket. Weren't you also on TV <laughs> when they interviewed um, Rapold during that? You went to D.C. You were a protester. Uh-oh. In January 6th? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. No, no, I was no, not no. there. Way before. It was years. I thought, I think it was for something about abortion. You guys went up there and they... Boy, they interviewed, um, did I say Rapold? It was Rapold. They interviewed Rudolph. Tom Rudolph. Tom, Tom Rudolph, yes. Rudolph. Yes, it, that, was, uh, that was the governor. No, that was a Supreme Court justice, something oh, yeah. more. Something more. Uh, he, he's been in the news a ton since. Um, the so, Ten Commandments thing, right? Yep, Ten Commandments. Oh, Taking the Ten Judge Commandments Roy out of gotcha. yeah, Roy Moore, right. All right, All right boy, there you go. Never have I ever. Hopefully, that, that was, was entertaining. I thought yeah. that was uh, easily understood. I did not realize it wasn't a dead seven reality disciplines. I have to remember it's something that we play at the girls' lock-in. You've never been to those. Never have you ever. Never have I ever been to, been to a, a girls', girls lock-in. lock-in. Yes. <laughs> Certainly not that I would admit. All right. So we have uh, a book that is coming in it's it's not in yet it's supposed to be in tomorrow i would encourage all of you to if you if you got kids and you're you probably do if you're here at awana type thing kevin layman dr kevin layman is one of the premier christian authors of our day helping parents raise children uh one of his first books maybe his first book was the birth order book and since then he's written a copious amounts of books the one that we were hoping to get in is called uh, Have a New Kid by Friday. But honestly, I really believe that, uh, you know, the, so I got this one, Making Children Mine Without Losing Yours, uh, and there's two other uh, books that I have over at the office that, that they did get in before today. And I think they all pretty much have the common theme. You, you, you know how it goes. Once you get a, a pony, you, you ride it, you know. And, and so it, it, this one here has sold more than a million copies uh, and the such. But it, it revolves around something that he calls reality discipline. So we're not going to get deep into it, but I just kind of want to broach the subject tonight. And when we get the uh, book in and, and hopefully books soon, because we want each panelist to have a book, uh, we will have a deeper you know, in, insight for you and the such. But basically, um, it, it's very interesting, if, if you'll allow me here. How, how much, we're doing great on time. Yeah. Uh, so do you remember ever making this statement, he says, when I have kids, they're not going to be like my sisters yes, or my brothers. brothers. Fast forward 10 years. Your kids are not only like your sisters, but worse. <laughs> it's kind of like the expectation stage of any romance. You think, we're going to spend every evening wrapped in each other's arms, take slow romantic walks in the rain, kiss until we can't breathe. Then reality Do people hits. actually think that? 
Then reality hits. He's smoking something. Your, Women do. Your mate has morning breath that could turn away a pack of wild dogs. The toothpaste remains in the sink, hardened into cement. <laughs> Belching at dinner is no longer funny. Expectation minus reality equals disillusionment in both romance and parenting. That expectation that your kids aren't going to be like your sisters, well, good luck. Your first six months with your colicky baby and the next couple of years with your screaming toddler introduced reality swiftly. Then you found, find out that your four-year-old is dyslexic. All kinds of things come your way as a parent. Reality will hit your child throughout his life as well. That's why training kids for reality is so important. Our goal is to have kids who are thoughtful, kind, and courteous. I, I thought that was interesting. I don't know that I could have ever said that if someone had said, you know, because my response would be, I want to produce a champion for Christ. Amen to that. But what does a champion for Christ look like? Thoughtful, kind, courteous. Kids who give back to the family and others, work hard, and accomplish their tasks in a timely manner. Kids who know that they are not the center of the universe and that others matter. None of these concepts, by the way, come naturally to children who are born as hedonistic suckers <laughs> caring only about themselves. I mean, that's what a kid is. Yeah. And, and if we're not careful, if, if we're not raised right, that's who we are as adults. So the best place for children to learn these concepts are in home. The reality is the day will come when your little cubs will leave the den the world has a way of slapping you in the face with reality, close and personal. Excuses don't fly. Shoddy workmanship doesn't fly or pay off. Smart mouthing brings consequences from job loss to public fights to litigation. How your children will respond to reality has a lot to do with how you prepare them while they're still in your home. So he goes on and he basically uh, says that he got this whole idea of reality discipline from Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, of course, is the passage that uh, talks about, uh, it says, the inspiration of these principles, believe it or not, came from a guy who never had any children but was incredibly wise about parenting, good old St. Paul. Children, obey your parents. This is the right thing to do because God has placed them in authority over you. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of God's Ten Commandments that ends with a promise, and this is the promise, that if you honor your father and mother, yours will be a long life full of blessing. And now a word to you parents, and this is obviously like a, a ELT, English uh, Living Translation, don't keep on scolding or nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. So principle number one, Establish a healthy authority over your children. Now, Ryan, you've got a one in the oven. Uh, Gavin, you've got uh, pretty much an empty nest. You've got uh, one young man that will come back occasionally because he's in college. Uh, I my, have go heart ahead. children. You have what? Heart children. Heart or God children. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have several. any physical. Several. But yeah. We've got Ava. Uh, we've claimed several. Uh, link, link right now, mm -hmm. uh, under down and the such. And so, of course, I got the three and uh, two are still in the home. Uh, and But the reality is, is that we, when they are, I'd say under 18, you know, in high school, mm -hmm. biblically, we have authority over those children. You as a parent 
need to establish that. Now, you might say, well, bro, man, that's easy to say, but how do you do it? Get the book. <laughs> Uh, because up, yeah. mine are done, and I can tell you how not to do things, uh, but there's very few things that I can tell you how to. Now, you may argue with that, uh, but, but I certainly exercised authority mm. uh, in our home and the such, um, and, and, and it's important. Uh, if kids grow up believing that they are the center of the universe, they'll crash when they meet reality because nothing is further from the truth. Your children's displays of power and rebellion are merely tests of your willingness to parent them. Will you, he asks, displaying love and desiring the well-being of your kids rather than flexing your muscles. So he says, but your authority must be healthy. Principle number two, hold your children accountable for their actions. So when they mess up, correct them, exercise your loving authority over them. Principle number three, remember we're just hitting the high points here, let reality be the teacher. Now this is probably the backbone of these reality discipline principles, there are seven of them, let reality be the teacher. And this is something that I failed, you know, at the finish line. At the finish line of my kids getting out of my home, I got into my helicopter, parent helicopter too many times and saved them. And I probably did not help, you know, if you will. So had I just stayed out of the parent helicopter and said, you know what? I guess you should have remembered to take your book to class today because you're going to get a zero on that, you know, whatever. Uh, I am that's very thankful you brought my instrument every time I called. <laughs> yes, you're grateful, for but I record. don't know that I helped because you. Because I would have I cried all day if the Swaffords had <laughs> extracted punishment on me. <laughs> Amen. Principle number four, let your actions match your words. So y when you say something, you got to hold to it. Number five, stick to your guns, but don't shoot yourself in the foot. So, you know, so we got those number three and number four, which is, you know, let reality be the disciplinarian and, you know, hold your, what you say, make sure that you match it. But there are times, you know, th this is a fluid situation. This isn't a concrete situation. Th there's all sorts of variables and the such. So they bring out, uh, or he brings out a, a case where this young girl was in a certain type of school and she wanted to go to a different type of school and so they allowed her to do that but they said if you this is your decision you're going to do it all year well after about a, a month or two it wasn't what she thought it was going to be she wanted to change but they stuck to their guns and in hindsight they say we shot ourselves in the foot because we, we should have allowed her to go back to the other situation because, you know, just all the extenuating circumstances. Uh, guys, jump in here at any moment if you want to. Well, I just keep thinking over and over my head here. Denise and I, from, we got married in 1985, and for the first 15 years of our marriage, we were experts in child rearing. <laughs> then, then December 30th, 1990, God said, Kevin and Denise, meet Megan. <laughs> And, and, and Megan took over from there. <laughs> Megan took over. There you go. Uh, there actually was a study done on the, I think it was either the second or third one you talked about, how you're not like not to jump in too fast right. into situations um, in school playgrounds, that teachers need to allow conflicts to resolve on their right. own. Um, Unless, of course, punches are They're flying. Then you probably want to step in because in the school. Or, right, exactly, right. yeah. But if, especially if it's just a disagreement or something, it's better to have the children learn how to solve that disagreement 
Because when a, an adult continually solves it for them, then they never build those skills. Yeah, you'd be waiting for the parent at the end of the day to say, your child needs to go into MMA. <laughs> <laughs> He's very talented. Uh, principle number six, relationships come before rules and activities. And boy, he hits that hard that, you know, there's got to be that family component. There's got to be that those meals together. There's So in other words, and, and they had we didn't have this rule. I like it, though. Uh, each kid gets one activity a year you, you pick it you stick with it if you don't stick with it that's okay then you're going to have more family time but you're not going to run every kid to three different situations now you that doesn't mean it's wrong for you or that it's right for you but something needs to be thought through prayed through and worked through on the whole idea of how much are we going to allow activity to take away from family time you know uh relationships are more important than rules and activities. Number seven, live by your values. Uh, he, he gives the story of the young man that was a single father and his two boys did really poorly on math. Well, he was working two jobs trying to take care of these two boys and he just felt like that was beyond the pale. He wanted to teach these boys the importance of an education. So he made them go out, they were 16 years old, made them go into the backyard. One had a pickaxe and the other had a shovel, and they had to dig a six-foot hole, both of them. So two six-foot holes. Afterwards, he basically said, boys, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life if you don't you know, make education what it ought to be. Now, Kevin takes issue with that, and he said, here's a, a man that is working two jobs. He obviously has an amazing work ethic. Why wouldn't you just sit your boys down and say, boys, you see what I do every day. I want you to be able to do that too. But what if this thing up here is more powerful than these things? Why don't you give education the best shot that you can give it? I'm extremely disappointed that you've scored so lowly and poorly in this math. I'm begging you to give it another go. You know, and and because his point was is that he he just dug two holes that somebody had to refill. You know, and, and, and the boys really didn't connect the two. Now, in my, now, how I'd have done it is I'd have had them dig the holes and then set them down and give them a 30-minute sermon on, you know, uh, how we can connect this. Why, why did I make you do this? Uh, there you go. Comments, corrections, additions. So that book was called? M uh, make, Making Children Mind Without Losing Yours. And is that the book we are going to go no. over? Okay, I did not think uh, so. But, but, what I is think, the... but I think it's going to cover the same right. seven principles. Have a New Kid by Friday, I'm pretty sure, deals with those same things. One of the biggest thing that he brings out in having a New Kid by Friday is don't argue with your children. Tell them what it is got to do, and if they don't do it, there's consequences. Tell them what to do. They don't do it, there's consequences. No arguing. You know, They're not on that level yet. When they're 21 and up, sure. You know, 18 and up, sure. Well, right, because what's their response? Why? Right. Why? Right. Why? Right. And it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't make any sense right. to them. They're just going to continue to right. drag it out so that they don't have to do whatever sure. you're wanting them to. Sure. Generally speaking, too, I think the sooner you start talking to your kids like they're adults, yes. the better. You bet. Yes. Mm -hmm. Even if they're so far from being adult that you 
they don't deserve yeah. it. And that was one of the things that when he talked about, like, eventually the Cubs are going to leave the cave. I think that's important is to think long term because eventually they're going to – you're raising adults is what you're doing. Even when they're, you know, two or three years right. old, yeah. you're raising adults. You're not raising just little kids. Obviously, you have to implement it slowly yeah. because they're growing up slowly. Too. Yeah. And if you're talking to your 16-year-old like they're two, right. I mean – even if they don't acknowledge it, that affects their oh, yeah. view of themselves. If you, so, mm -hmm. um, and if you look at, and this is from a lot of re different reading, I've read so much in my life, I can't, probably can't name all the books that I've read, but the novels even from you know, the 1600s, just finished listening to David or, uh, Robinson Crusoe, the way they talked to their kids back then, they talked to their kids like they were adults. Mm -hmm. and right. they, they reasoned them through to their ability, they reasoned them through what was happening in life. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, that's another right. where the father talks Atticus. to the kids uh, like they're adults. And it's a lot of times you'll think, oh, my Lord, my Lord, I'm so worried about this child that they're not going to make it. And, and it is an act of faith to speak to them like an adult in some instances. But you're inculcating in them that you expect them and you, you are granting them the right of adulthood. Right. You're going to be an adult. One of the most maddening phrases for me with the boys. Molly, I can't remember you doing this, but the boys would say, what do you mean? I mean, I had clearly told them what to do. Would you go pick up that bucket, please? And they go, what do you mean? And I just look at them like they had three heads, and I go, what do you mean, what do I mean? <laughs> you know, that's, that's maddening. Go get the bucket. You know, See if you it, can figure it out. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so anyway... Um, I think probably one of the most life-saving pieces of advice that got to me through radio was uh, help them understand why this is important for them. You know, son, I'm not asking you to do this for me. I'm asking you to do this because this is going to help you out. You know, if you, if you do well in school, it's going to benefit you. Hmm. You know, uh, you're going to get a slap on the back from me, but you're going to get better opportunities if you will realize that this is for you. And, and I, I think that really, after, after a period of time, <laughs> it started sinking in. Uh, Jamie texted in, my biggest lesson and most humbling part of parenting so far is the realization that my kids will do as I do. They will talk to dad the way I talk to dad. They will yell at each other when I get angry and yell at them. They will be sarcastic when I am sarcastic. They catch a lot. They're, they're little mirrors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have a Proverbs or Psalm for us? Yeah, uh, that was in the notes, wasn't it? It was. So instead of a word of wisdom, we're doing proverbs or psalms. Yeah, and I don't know. Here, hang on. Uh, I'd already put my notes up. You but, didn't have uh, it in there, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, it was before that. Proverbs nine seventeen and eighteen. Let me pull it up real quick. Proverbs nine seventeen and eighteen. So that would have been four days ago. Proverbs nine seventeen and eighteen. Uh, almost there. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that our guests are in the depths of hell. So here's the problem. We don't have our, our sound guys here. I was going to let you guys hear uh, a... I think I can just hang We don't have me. time. It's 7.59. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. If you'd like to hear Dad's little thing, go meet him after. We'll we'll Invite your we'll friends, neighbors, week. and relatives to next week and share the word on your socials. Good night. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>